We are delighted to welcome today some of the players from our new sponsored Chelsea FC here to the Sauber factory to meet our drivers. Oh no, it's John Terry! Quick, hide the Japanese one! Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed, a loose aggregate of three blokes who like to stand around together in a room drinking cider, wine and beer and asking each other what you've been driving. Zog, I know what you've been driving. Your Porsche 944. Yeah, although I haven't been driving it for the last couple of weeks because it's been in bits. Well, um, more on that presently, mm, right? Mm. I want to hear because there's a fab story about your bits. Oh, I came up with a good trick. Honestly. I came up with a great trick. If you follow Zog on Twitter, you'll know what this is. If you don't, you're in for a treat. Richard, what have you been driving? I've been driving a few things in the past few weeks. I've been going small car crazy, mate. Uh, <laughs> really? I love a small car. Yeah. Uh, I drove that VW up, which I I think I mentioned on the show. Uh, yeah, yeah, a, a you like it. Of episodes ago, yeah, terrific. Yeah. It's it's not as joyful as my little Fiat Five Hundred, but it is in its own a way. Few things very are very impressive. Yes, exactly. I, I no, I'd love to have oh, a go in one of those. Me too. I, I think there's I some in the one. UK. I think they have some at Warwick University where Tata have an agreement with the engineering department there. But I think Car Magazine's website ran a picture of one in the car park there. I would love to have a go in that. Or if you're listening and you've imported a Tata Nano for some reason. Can we uh, have from a go? India, please, can I have a go in it? Because I'm really interested in that car. Wait, I haven't driven a Tata now, but I have driven, belatedly, the new Toyota Yaris. It's being advertised quite heavily on the TV here at the moment, so I, I thought I'd have a go in that. Which is fine. You can tell a lot about it by its parcel shelf. It's a good, solid parcel shelf. No, it's not. Really? It's very cleverly designed to be cheap and light and ah. simple. And so... Well, remember, we I went to the... that car, generally. We went to the factory where they were building the Yaris Ah, and followed the process. And it is proper made in a proper careful way. Toyota do 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 a proper job. Yes, and I'm sure it's all very clean, everyone wears gloves. And and we've driven the Verso S, which is very similar. Yeah, it's all right, that's fine. We liked it. it, uh, Yeah, and I drove that Nissan Micra that's got the supercharged engine in it. Which is a terrific engine with a mediocre Ooh. car wrapped around it. I like a supercharger. Oh, it's we, we, we like supercharger. a supercharger. We believe in supercharging. Yeah. I'm the only person here at the moment who owns a supercharged car. You have a turbocharged car. I do. Yeah. Te- well, technically a turbo supercharger. Well, well, actually, yeah. yes, a, a, a turbocharger is like, like a turbo supercharger, in fact. Uh, yeah. Is it really? Not, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Everything. Well, because the, it, the overall concept is... Hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. A supercharger is forced induction. It's just that a regular supercharger is driven basically off the crank by some sort of pulley. Whereas a turbo supercharger drives, drives it from the exhaust, but it's oh, usually serpent, it's usually shortened to uh, turbocharger. Oh, I've never so it's well, it is all okay. supercharging in the end. Yeah. Right, so, uh, so pedantry yeah. out of the way. But yes, you are but the only yes. person with a supercharged car in this room at the moment. No, that's not right because Violet has a blow. The car. <laughs> <laughs> she keeps it very quiet, but I've seen her heading down Stoke Newington High Street with goggles on, looking like <laughs> looking like. Uh, oh, bird, that's a great bird. image. I love my girlfriend even more. Oh, I wasn't going to say she does not like that really message see, no, 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 no I wasn't excuse me can I just point out that was, there was in no way oh, that, that, yeah, that, well, no, but when you put goggles on you're driving a Bentley you look like Mr. Toad I was going to say one well, of you know like uh, what's his name Birkin um, you know one of those old yeah. Bentley boys my girlfriend does not wear a Merkin oh lord you um, moving swiftly on so on. you haven't been driving a blower Bentley you I haven't been, been driving, driving a blower yeah. Bentley so yeah a little micro with a supercharger it's interesting because it's a tiny three cylinder engine I was going to say three. normally you know this trend for downsizing and the Fiat Twin Air has a turbo on it in my 500. 
Ford are doing this new three-cylinder EcoBoost engine with a turbo on it. Aye. Small turbos are the way forward. Superchargers, particularly on small engines, not so fashionable because there are these frictional losses involved in constantly driving the compressor yep. and all the gubbins that, that's just soaking up a little bit of energy. Mm. But Nissan, I think, by going for the sort of super low-friction components as much as possible and also saying that the benefit is drivability, they mm-hmm. can make the car, and it is very long-geared, mm-hmm. which you can't necessarily do in a turbocharged car because it means the they car never gets... Gets on boost. Yeah, that's right. Supercharger, well, it's always it's on, on boost. boost. All the time. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. you can long gear it, which actually is beneficial to economy, and it did seem to be pretty economical. And it was a really nice engine. It's not an electric supercharger, it's no, a crank driven, isn't it? Fashioned, pulley yeah. style. I found out this weekend as well that apparently those micros are built in India now, but they come into the northeast of England and they go to the Nissan factory which has just had some more good news about it's going to be building a new medium-sized car as well as a new small car. Mm. But they are also having to do a load of work. They sort of half-rebuilt those micros in the UK to bring them up to scratch, and there's a locally-made dashboard goes in. They throw away the old one. No. Yeah, they well, the dashboard. throw away? Well, they, they, um, they, they chip it. it. They, they recycle it and make it to right. the chips. But it's easier to do that than sort of shipping part-assembled so. cars. Well, I said, why don't they just send it over without the dashboard? Yeah, but uh, this exactly. bloke who was telling me this, who lives up there, said that it's because... Uh, that it would just be actually, too much trouble at the Indian well, you've got end a comp- of the yeah, operation. Because they're building the cars for... Other markets, that car was always meant to be the sort of world car, but particularly aimed at what they would call developing markets, where people mm-hmm. are less fussy about soft-touch dashboard and, oh, I want my sat-nav, I want my reversing sensors, and I want my heated seats and stuff like that. Talking about Scotland? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very demanding well, car market. Yeah, <laughs> very demanding. Still, a lot of the time, doors are optional up there. <laughs> Mind you, they are in the northeast as well. Marks you out as a softie. Wheels in some places too. <laughs> well, well, that's a different matter. <laughs> so, did you like oh, your little supercharged three-cylinder? I like the engine. Missile. I just thought the rest of the car was, you know, yeah, mm. it, was all right. it was not bad. But a friend of mine is thinking of getting a small car. And I happened to see him when I was driving at Yaris, and he went, oh, is this any good? And I was like, yeah, it's fine, you know, it's yeah. Toyota, it's bound to be reliable and all the rest of it, and better, better, better. And he was like, oh, okay, well, what about Fiesta? I was like, yeah, Fiesta's really good. No, what about Polo? Yeah, Polo's good, Polo's very good, yeah, yeah. Mm. There's a Kia garage over there. What's that, a Kia, a little Kia, is a Kia Rio or something? Is that any good? And you're like, yeah, I think that's pretty good, yeah. So I suddenly realised most of the small cars around at the very moment good. are pretty with, good. Mm. The, the point I think about most, small cars, most. The I people, would avoid the micro, the, I don't think. The so. people that buy small cars like that are often mums older people empty nesters that kind of people and they're not interested in cars as you know younger people often are or older blokes are older women want an appliance they don't want to think about a car they want something that is below the radar something they don't notice something that works and therefore cars like the micra and the yaris are so good you don't notice them good in terms of they won't satisfy you in the way that a Lancia with brio and involvement and breakdowns and great suspension or something like that. You but know. they'll start every time. They'll every be cheap time. to fix when they do go you, wrong. Your you, regular servicing is mm. cheap. You won't even notice it. So it's actually, therefore, a much better car than and then we would ever so give it. Oh, so if you went into a Nissan garage and you test drove that Micra and nothing else, you'd go, well, this is fine. This is yeah. delightful. It's a ridiculous cliche about cars like that. It's very easy to drive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I can't remember the last yeah. car I drove that was hard to drive. Probably like a Ford <laughs> RS two hundred or something. And I wouldn't recommend my godmother got one of those. Probably, the, but, probably that one that had uh, the pedals on the back seat. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. Uh, I, but you know, they are particularly all the controls are very light, and that's what actually where I thought the micro let itself down. There's a sort of sense of looseness to it. Not that things aren't screwed together properly, but just that there's massive tolerances, and it's all done a little bit on the cheap. It's, mm. it's not quite the sort of bushing and damping and things that there would be on a Polo or yeah. even a Fiesta. It just feels a little bit threadbare. But mm. if you didn't drive anything else, you would find it 
perfectly okay. Mm. Because we're into cars, we would go around and check out. We'd moan about a few little things here and there. You'd find that that actually, actually, in terms of alternatives, if you like driving cars, and you've been driving a young person's small car, haven't you? You've been driving a Suzuki. I mean, that's not a car for an old person. Oh, the Swift Sport was the one I really wanted to talk about because I had the old Swift Sport, which was a terrific car in so many ways, really good fun to drive. And I almost bought it. It was a long-term test car, so I had it for a year, but it wasn't mine. It went back. I asked Suzuki how much they'd want for it. I seriously considered buying it. There were a few things that put me off. One of them being it was supposed to be run on 98-octane fuel, which gets expensive. And it was incredibly thirsty for a small car because it was very revvy, very short-geared. And it was sort of seemed to be doing sort of around 30 and sometimes a bit less, which for a little car is a bit worrying. That is quite thirsty. Yeah, it is. It's not a heavy car. Where is it going? I know, it was weird. But but otherwise, overall, I absolutely adored it. But Mm, the new one, it's like they've gone through it and so many of the beefs, big or small, that I had with the old one, they fixed. I mean, stupid stuff. I had keyless go on the old one, but the key was about the size of when mobile phones start to get really small. It, it, it sort of felt, I'm exaggerating slightly, but only slightly. It was too big. It made your mm. trousers feel bulky and falling down. <laughs> and it's a shame, because also with Keyless Go, you never take the key out of your pocket. And it was sort of constantly mm. in this, what the bloody hell? I didn't know. Like... So the new one, the key's tiny. I didn't like the fact you had to run it on posh petrol, because it's basically a homologation rally engine, you know, and it's got oil spray on the underside of the pistons and all these techie That's things, really? which is lovely, and a really hot cam on it and all this. Mm. They fiddle with the engine. It's the same engine, but it can now run happily on 95 juice. Great. From being freakishly thirsty for a small car, it is now freakishly economical for a car that you thrape the life out of the whole time. It wouldn't do nice. less than 40. It was regularly doing into the sort of mid to high 40s. And it was just, I was like, well, how is it And you were still driving like a maniac. Stuff? I was driving like a total loony for a lot of time within applicable speed limits. But, you yes, know, you just, it's a revy car. The power doesn't come in until top end of the 6,000s of the rev range. There's the peak power. So you're constantly it's in the a sports up there car. as well. Hmm. Well, it is. It, Which model so was this? What, what is it called? Is there a sport model or is this just the it's basic It's called Swift? the Suzuki Swift Sport. Right. No, the basic Swift is a very nice looking car. This is the sports model, the GTI, if you will. It's just not called that. It looks nice. It's slightly understated. If you know what it is, you look at it and you go, ah, the Sport, not the normal one. Slight detail differences, bigger wheels, blacked in front end. Yeah, but that's the spirit of the hot hatchback. Blue lights. This is the thing. Did you like it it more than your Fiat 500, which I know you really? Yeah. Well, do you know what? Honestly, if it was just up to me, I would. Yeah, I start thinking, oh damn. The one thing about this Swift Sport is that it's genuinely a car that's fit for purpose. You know, you wouldn't criticise a supercar for having poor boot space. That's not the point of it. You wouldn't criticise a Range Rover for not being able to go around the Nurburgring in seven and a half minutes. That's not the point of it. Yeah. A hot hatchback of that size has to do certain things. And within that, I have never driven in a long time such a complete car, a car that is absolutely perfectly fit for purpose. It's now got a six-speed box in it. Again, curing a complaint about the old one, bit buzzy on the motorway. New one isn't, can cruise, fine, and is doing it economically. I think it looks really nice. I think the seat on the old one was a little bit high. The seat now goes down low enough for me. The wheel, unusually for a small car, doesn't just move up and down. It has an innie-outy wheel, so you can get the proper touring car wheel close-in feeling. Hmm. The interior is not super high-quality, but it's a 13 and a half grand car now that's pretty much what I paid for my Fiat and all things being equal there was a pang of regret you know there's one reason I have my Fiat is it's easy to insure for my wife who doesn't have a great deal of driving history in the UK because she's from abroad but actually the Swift is 19A on the new insurance groupings which go up to 50 so it's not terrible I mean I would seriously in the future look into what it would cost to run it as opposed to the Fiat. I haven't had so much fun in a car, well, since I borrowed a Mercedes SLS a few weeks ago, but that was different fun. And actually, the <laughs> point about Suzuki is you can use 
All of it. The Mercedes, there was a sense that actually the satisfying part from that was how Mercedes-ish it was. Automatic gearbox slurring along, lovely. But you couldn't use all the power anywhere. Mm. You would get arrested or die. Yes. The Suzuki, you could use every ounce of it, and that was part of the satisfaction of it. It was just yeah. lovely revving it, running up and down the gearbox, great brakes, everything. The weight of the clutch pedal, you know, it's an underrated thing, but it just makes the whole driving experience where you just... You know, nicking gear chains in super fast. And in what way? I'm, I'm sold. I'm sold. On this. In what way was it better than a mini? Well, actually, the minis, you know, they're growers because they're great handling cars and, and all those bloody, bloody blah. But I actually feel a bit leaden compared to that Suzuki. I just think it was much livelier. The engine way more revvy, and it has that sort of squat planted to the road feeling that the mini does. But even more so, where the track feels almost as wide as the wheelbase is long. So you just got that sort of four square on the road thing, yeah. and it still does what the old one does. Which is, if you really sort of pile it into a corner, it sort of four-wheel drifts slightly, like a, mm. an old Mini would, in fact. Not a new Mini. The new mm-hmm. Mini, you struggle to get one of those to do it. But this, and it doesn't feel like you're out of control. It just feels like the, the suspension, the tyres, everything is working in harmony. But in a way where you can feel movement, you can feel life in the chassis. It's not just getting around the corner in the sort of grippy, efficient way. It's got a soul to it. It's a wonderful little car. I'm 13 and a half grand. I can't recommend it highly yeah, enough. I'm I'm, I wish I'd bought one. Yeah. So am I right in saying you, you like that car? Yeah, it's alright. <laughs> I really loved it. And finally, the results from this weekend's DTM opening round. In first place, the British driver Gary Paffert. In second place, the British driver Jamie Green. In third place, Matthias Ekstrom. Fourth place, Christian Vettoris. Fifth place, Mike Rockenfeller. Sixth place, Andy P. Andy P. There was no sixth place. In seventh, Ralph Schumacher. These results are trivial. Do you know what I've noticed recently? You see an extraordinary number of Lexus CT200s on the motorway and Range Rover Evokes in North Wales. It's almost certainly the single most popular car in North Wales, this side of... Does this reliant. reflect where you've been spending your time recently? I'm wondering if I'm just saying it's being a skewed new, sample. They yeah. found a new seam of gold up there or something. <coughs> <laughs> the are really expensive. Yeah, like we saw loads of them. Ridiculous are numbers. Sure that, are they not? They, they, I know they've Land Rover ex- test cars up there. Yeah. They're not all gaffered up, well, are they? I, I, no, no. Gauges and no, these are... I have been selling pretty well, because I've certainly met a couple of people who've... You massive know, wasting time and, on them yeah. and there were delays in production because of two things if you spec the big full length sunroof which I think most people do mm. they couldn't get those off the supplier fast enough or the xenon lights I think but I heard about a bloke who had one of the first evokes and he was very pleased about this that he got in there early he got an evoke and he got the full length sunroof He'd only had it a matter of weeks when the builders who were doing some work on the outside of his house dropped a hammer off the scaffolding and it went straight through the glass roof. Oh. Went to the dealer and went, you've got to get me a glass roof for my Evoke. Oh, I'm sorry, but, you know, the factory can't even get glass yeah. roofs for the Evoke. You're going to have to oh. wait. You couldn't use his car in case oh, it rains. So, yeah, that's what happens when even the component suppliers can't supply with demand. Mm. We digress. What were you making the point about? Where you see, you know those Lexuses, Lexuses, Sorry to, to, to just interrupt again. The CT200, yeah. That <clears> annoys <throat> me, that car, when I see them on the motorway. You're right, you do see quite a lot of them. I think mm. that company car user choosers oh, yeah. 
are going for them because of the tax advantage. Uh-huh. They wouldn't want a Prius because in their minds yeah, yeah. they're above that. They would and normally have an Audi A4 Lexus. or something like that. Yeah. They can have a hybrid car with a good company car tax yeah. rating that's still a bit posh. But what annoys me about that car, if you look at those daytime running lights it has with the little LEDs, yeah. there's a gap in them. Have <laughs> you noticed? There's, there's ah, like, there, yeah. For reasons I can't quite figure, I think it might be where the indicator lives, there's a gap. When the indicator's not on, you just see this, what should be a continuous looks like line a, of light. looks yeah, like there's a bulb out. Yeah. Irritating. That would annoy me. It's yeah, like me, whenever I see the Audi with those daytime running lights, mm. those LED dotted lights, I always think of Maya from Space 1999, her eyebrows. But eyebrows, yeah. Her yes. eyebrows. Yeah. Oh, it's like my colleague Jeremy Clarkson always thinks that some of those Audis look like the baddie out of Captain Scarlet, was it? Yeah, uh, Black. Colonel, Captain Black. No, actually, no, 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 it's not. C- uh, Captain Black was the uh, was the agent <coughs> of um, the, the Mr. Hood. Roms. Mm. The hood. No, he wasn't. The Hood yes, he was Thunderbirds. Was it? Uh, you're right. I didn't know you're right. The you're Mr. Right. Roms took over Captain Black and made him indestructible, as they did with uh, Captain Scarlet as well. You're right. Can I just, however, throw in the trivia that yeah. the Human League took their name? from a board game based on Captain Scarlet. One of the scenarios in the board game, I think, was called The Rise and Fall of the Human League, or The Mysterons and The Rise and Fall of the Human League. And one of the members of Human League Mark I, Ian Craig Marsh, I think, was an obsessive collector of kind of geeky sci-fi board games, and he had this board game, and so they called the band The Human League. Good lad. You see, there's the hood. I used to know what Hood's birthday was. Richard's got his iPad out. Yeah, well, I used to have a TV21 calendar, and on the TV21 calendar was the Hood's birthday. So we used to celebrate the Hood's birthday, me and my mate Bobby, a long time. So when, I've gone off topic here, birthday? haven't I? Yes, we have. Back to the... So, the, yeah, you see a lot of CT200s, you see a lot of Evokes, and you see a lot of Mercedes B-Class, the old B-Class, in North Wales. There seems to be lots of them around. Now, I may have had my awareness of the B-Class heightened by the fact that I spent a week driving around in a B-Class myself, but it was the new one. But you do see a lot of them because... There's a lot of older people in North Wales, and again, they like the B-Class. Classic for a tall car for older yeah, people. Yeah. Mm. Flawed. Horribly flawed, the old B-Class. It was just... Was that, do you know, I never drove one. Uh, right? Well, like good... I drove the A-Class, and the B-Class is just a stretched A-Class. And you get in the A-Class, and the first thing you do is bang your forehead. Really? Oh, well, because... Well, I was driving the A-Class, A-class. <coughs> I remember thinking that the outgoing A-Class was actually all right, but that's because it was compared to the I'm old think, Sorry, A-class, I'm thinking of the first generation A-Class. But because of that sandwich floor and the rake of the windscreen, it just puts you a bit too close to the windscreen, and it was there, right in your face. Rubbish. Mm. But the new B-Class, which I've driven, is a completely different animal. They've started again. They threw away the whole sandwich floor idea and started from scratch. And what Mercedes are now building is their Golf. You know, it's a front-wheel drive hatch. It's built in Hungary as well, which I didn't realise. Did you know that Mercedes built the cars, the B-Class and the A-Class in Hungary? But the car I had was the B200... Blue Efficiency Sport, 1.8 litre diesel engine, four-cylinder. What was the power output again? I can't even remember. I'm looking at the sheet. Seven, four million, eight. Somewhere between seven and four million. Hang on. I'll Uh, tell you now. Should we get, I reckon. 136. Is uh, it? Yeah, but the torque, 300 torques. Of what? Which unit of Is that newton meters or uh, foot pounds? Newton meters. Oh. No, it's pound foot. Is a foot pounds is a measure of kinetic energy of yeah. uh, bullets. And is it? Yeah. Oh. Really? Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I chose this car for a very good reason because the week that we went up to North Wales, 
it was mooted that there could be a fuel transport strike. And so I organised... So immediately went out, bought a lot of jerry cans, filled them all up... Yes! ...and stored them near a naked flame. And said, aren't the Tory (laughs) government great? Yeah. So I chose a car that was genuinely thrifty, just in case when we got to North Wales, there was no fuel to be had. Can I just say, that's boringly sensible. Yeah, (laughs) thank you, thank you. uh, So we could come back to London on... I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't sensible, but it's just, you know... Boringly sensible. That car gave us an average of 44 miles to the gallon for a big five-seater hatchback, which is pretty darn good, I think, considering... it was fully loaded most of the time. It it certainly was, and it was driven like the proverbial bat out of hell because we managed to time our trip where traffic was going the opposite way, like on a reverse commute. Mm. And I drove it too fast, really, proper too fast. And I got tremendous mileage out of it they say that its potential is like 65 miles to the gallon Hmm. and i do not doubt for one minute that if you drove that car like everyone else drives on the road you really would get that it's probably the thriftiest car i've driven you know you get what 28 35 in your fiat 500 in town richard yeah no that fiat does 39 everywhere 39 everywhere i reckon if i drove this in town gently i'd get 50 miles per gallon i drove like a maniac it was brilliant and it was lovely expensive that one that we had was the sport model it was 29 grand which is quite a lot of money for a big hatch we say all cars are expensive these days cars are expensive these days what violet berlin did you really get that much efficiency of that car yeah yeah but you drive like a maniac yeah yeah. Right, okay, this is how he did it. He's, a, he's a spirited driver. No. Spirited. 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 Okay. That's what I meant, obviously. <laughs> this is how he did it. I was there. Right? What's the name of the programme, Violet? He drove spiritedly <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. And then I would say, look, this proves how spiritedly you are driving, <laughs> because look how bad the fuel economy is. Yeah. And then Gareth Which would drive the really, really slowly... Uh-huh. to get me back for saying his driving was spirited and say, well, this is how you asked me to drive. And, but he would do and that would... until he got his fuel economy up again yeah. and then he would drive spiritedly again. <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> so that, true. that is how it happened. And are you saying this is a good thing or a bad thing? Um, or are you just observing? You're neutral. He's saying what great fuel economy and all the rest, even with him. But I can't help thinking that if he had that car on a regular basis... We wouldn't be getting that fuel economy out of it because he would not be doing the kind of driving like his mother. The time which I drove gently, like everyone else, was a very short period of time because wasn't gently. It was. It it was was like we were going to a funeral. (laughs) Exactly because that's how you have to drive to get maximum economy out of a car, and it was killing everyone in the car. It's like, Dad, come on, we've got to get there. We come on. It was horrible. We quite liked it. No, you didn't, and you know you didn't. (laughs) We liked the car. It was comfy. Lovely brown yeah, leather seats. we liked it. It was very sensible. We liked it for that. It had the, what were they, 18-inch wheels? I forget what the wheels were. And it was probably the worst car over speed bumps of any car. And that includes the Lexus ISF and the Renault Sport that we drove. It didn't like speed bumps at all. But we do Ooh, live near Islington, which is like the home of speed lumps. Yeah. But, and I didn't expect this from this car, it had the 
most neutral front to rear balance of any car I can remember driving for a long while. You put it into a turn, you set the angle of the turn, and it just sits there. It just did not need adjustment at all. It has lovely balance front to rear. I hmm. like that. And inside it was almost Art Deco and avant-garde, I think. But the worst thing about that car, and if I was Mercedes, I would fix this straight away. It was the information screen, the dash that you've got all your... Fair play, you know, it had a dab radio and all that. But the screen, which sits proud like a sort of an iPad on the dash, very nice, but had a, quite a small screen in a large surround. Yeah, there was a huge difference between the surround and the size of the screen. And that just made it look like a really bad Korean LCD flat panel TV. It actually made it look cheap. I know it wasn't, but it made it look cheap. You want it to look classy, you've got to make the size of the screen maximise the surround that it's in and if that is my biggest complaint about that car perhaps my only complaint about that car apart from the terrible ride apart from the terrible ride over speed Mm. bumps which is unforgivable really I'd fix that before the screen quite honestly well I don't know I can why do you need to ride a family car yeah Yeah. I mean I'm kind of used to traffic on speed bumps it's kind of like the London equivalent of the Alps Really? Yeah, a lot of the time cars with suspension are quite good over speed bumps because what makes speed bumps difficult is if you've got a really soft wallowy car if you drove a 1974 Cadillac over a speed bump it would keep it would moving one of the best cars ever over speed bumps is the Toyota iGo because it's incredibly light and it's short. actually quite stiffly sprung and it's short yeah. and it just hops over them yep. but yeah. one of the things is because the engine in the nose is really light doesn't drag the nose down again yeah. the momentum of it oh, as yeah. it goes over That's the speed big, bumps can I finish this yeah. with a trick yeah. I learned I should have done it in this B200 Sports my mate Vinny used to drive a Mark II Golf and he used to brake hard just before the speed bump and they come off the brakes just as you're about to go over the speed bump he would bunny hop it would unload the suspension and bunny hop over them I bet it works in this car ever so good and you know they say oh it looks a bit frumpy the B-Class consider what the rivals to that car are what are the rivals to that car when I seen it yeah it's the Touran no because the Touran's got seven seats so it's not really Golf Plus Golf Plus is from. I'm not entirely sure what the rivals of that car are. Well, it's not the. the a Golf. There must be a Renault with. The, the, yeah, the Renault Scenic. Scenic. It's yeah, almost it's identical like, in size to the Renault Scenic, apart from the mm. fact that it's about, I don't know, eight inches lower. It's an MPV, which isn't an MPV. You get out of the car and step up. You don't get out and step down. And that took a lot of getting hmm. used to. Ooh, I really liked that it. That Peugeot 3008. That's a bloody awful looking car, so there you go. Yeah, everything else that's frumpy. This, I think, in the grand scheme of things, is a bit more avant-garde, especially with the big wheels in black. Ooh, get in. Good. And our children weren't sick in it. Good morning. Good morning, sir. And can I say how magnificently beige you look today? Is that a new aftershave? It's TCP. How delightful. I'm a prominent local accountant and I'm looking for a new car. Excellent. Did Sir have anything particular in mind? Yes, I want something... Sporty? No. Dynamic? No. I want something... Rugged? No. Frumpy? Ah. Well, in that case, what about this? The Toyota Yaris Miranda Heart Edition? No, not for me. I see. There's always this. The Vauxhall Corsa repeat of Loose Women from four years ago on the Living Channel edition. Oh, dearie, no. Um, I see. Well, if it's frumpy you want, sir, I think this might be right up your street. It's the Suzuki Liana Women's Institute. Oh, yes. 
very starchy. All the trim is by Laura Ashley. Nice. And it comes with a free pot of lemon curd in the glove box. Oh. Racy. I'll take it. Excellent. And how will Sir be paying for this vehicle? Lunch vouchers. Gareth Jones on Whenever we do one of these What Have You Been Driving programmes, quite often Richard and I have been lucky enough to drive a range of things, but Zog's been spending more time driving the thing that you drive almost all the time, your lovely... What is it? 87. 87 Porsche 944 Turbo S1, do we call it? No. Nope. The 952. It's a 952. The 951 was the model designation for the left-hand drive 944 yeah. Turbo. 952 is the right-hand drive turbo. So if you want to get really fussy, it's a 952. Which, turbo. yeah. Which if been... there was a charge on this car, it would have cost you a bloody fortune because you spent hours and hours and weeks. If we were charging for your man hours, you spend a fortune on that car, don't you? Recently, I've spent a fair bit of time fixing the brakes after I had that little minor brake failure incident and then recently just been doing some preventive maintenance I've been spending quite a long time on it and it's because it would have been to be honest such expensive work to get done if I'd had the garage do it I didn't what have you been doing I I, kind of like doing stuff myself what have you been doing timing belt balance belt water pump replacing all of those and also replacing a couple of gaskets on the camshaft housing basically the main camshaft housing gasket and then another gasket at the rear that's what I've been doing. On the and street, blimey, outside your house. Blimey, it was a hell of a job. And definitely the most involved, complicated, daunting bit of car fix-it DIY I've tackled so far. And, uh, apparently, experienced mechanics and garage you know, could probably do the whole job in, I don't know, eight hours or something. Yeah, it probably took me ten days. I'm glad uh, you're not charging London garage rates. What are London garage rates? 50 quid an hour. First of all, there's the taking it apart. So what is your and then guide putting for back together. Have you, you got a manual or are you looking this up on the internet? Well, I've, there's a couple of various resources. It? There's a, no, I'm not, not, definitely, not <laughs> definitely not winging it. Definitely not winging it. I've downloaded all of the original factory workshop manuals, which describe how to do a lot of stuff. But actually, even more useful than that is a website called Clark's Garage, which is a sort of 944 resource, which, you know, you want to look up how to replace the steering rack, how to replace your water pump, how to set the engine to top dead centre, how to do any sort of service stuff. It's there, described really well and with some really good notes. And then on top of that, there are forums, there are user groups. The Renlist forums are very helpful. I was a bit nervous about tackling this whole thing in the first place because the timing belt in particular is pretty important. And, yeah, uh, yeah. You, know, you need to go, you know, get that wrong when right. you eat your engine. Exactly. And I'd heard a lot of sort of horror stories about getting the tension on the timing belt right. Actually, when you get down to it, it isn't as bad as all that. But when you're taking apart bits on a 25-year-old car and you haven't done it before in particular, you're inevitably going to kind of come across a few little humps along the way. Mm. And, uh, what was the, the big most one, difficult? The biggest one was in a slightly unexpected place. And after I'd finally got everything taken apart apart from getting the water pump off. And at this point, I thought, okay, this is the last trick. As soon as I've got this off, I can just put it all back together again. No problem. I snapped a couple of the rusted bolts that were holding the water pump in, which then meant that I had the kind of the remains of two bolts stuck in holes in the engine block. Mm. The problem being that because of the location, you know, they're facing forwards in a space in between the engine block and the radiator, which isn't as big as you'd like it to be, so there's not much room to work. 
Can't drill them out then? Well, exactly. Long story short, I managed to get one of them out mechanically by kind of double nutting it, well, triple nutting it, in fact, and sort of being able to get it out that way. Mm. The second one, all I managed to do was to snap it off closer to the engine block in doing that, and I only had a few millimetres. There was just enough room to get a drill in there, so I kind of drilled part of it out, hoping to get an extractor in there and then get it out. But I couldn't get it out with an extractor because there was so much stuff around the thing that there wasn't enough room to move Mm. the kind of double-ended handle that you stick onto the extractor in order to screw it out. So I couldn't even do that. And then I thought, there's got to be another approach to this. I'm going to take a chemical approach to this. And I used nitric acid, dilute nitric acid, to dissolve the remains of the steel bolt and the iron oxide that was with it. You used Twitter to get that bolt out. Twitter was a valuable resource. Like, I better than Swarfiga. I had, an, I had an idea that... Whoa, the, 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 don't bring Swarfiga into this. Nothing's better than Swarfiga. <laughs> <laughs> it is good. That's a fair point. I yeah, love Swarfiga. Oh, I, I, I had an idea that there should be some acid that would probably work on this, but I threw the question out to Twitter, as you say. So I had some very helpful feedback from a bunch of people. Bottom line, dilute nitric acid is the best stuff. Which um, you got from where? I've got it from Growwell Hydroponic Supplies. Really? In Fulham. Really? What yeah. else are people doing with it? They're they're changing the pH of their hydroponic growing right. solutions. Interesting. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Hang you on. see, I... basically, these hydroponic places, as well as all the nutrients and stuff, they also sell stuff to make your solutions more alkaline and stuff to make your solutions more acidic. Just to and be it turns clear out here. that if you want to get hold of nitric acid at the weekend, which I did yeah. because I didn't want to hang about, yeah. hydroponic places are probably the best bet. Hydroponics is basically hydroponics. growing drugs, isn't it? It's growing that's drugs the main fluids. application, yeah. probably. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, but they yeah. pretend it's about growing. I well, you can you, you growing plants. plants. You can grow other yeah. stuff, Chris and crocuses. people do grow a lot of other stuff. Do but they? But they there's, a, there's a lot of high-grade domestic um, marijuana cultivation using hydroponics. Yeah, but, so, but so nitric acid. Nitric, Twitter. So, so, and so the thing is, so, so I got some useful advice from Twitter and decided that nitric acid was the way to go. And yeah, it did a great job of dissolving the remains of the steel bolt and the iron oxide that was in there you know it had these remains rusted in there I made a little sort of cup what, thing what and sort of glued it, it onto the side didn't it dissolve it didn't dissolve the aluminium engine block Brilliant. which is the critical thing because yeah. if you had a steel bolt in a steel block nitric acid wouldn't be so much used but if you've got an aluminium block and a steel bolt in it you can use nitric, nitric acid to get acid out doesn't dissolve aluminium strictly speaking yes it does dissolve aluminium because but it al- goes for steel al- aluminium is a more reactive metal than steel. If you think about the thermite reaction, that happens yeah. because aluminium is a very reactive metal. Right. But yeah. when you expose aluminium to air or when you expose aluminium to an acid, it forms a layer of aluminium oxide. Yeah. And aluminium oxide is, the uh, fuel is very in resistant. The space shuttle in the solid rocket boosters. Don't think it is. Aluminium powder, maybe. Aluminium oxide is not. Okay. Aluminium. Can I ask a dumb question? Because I'm not very good with this stuff. Aluminium and steel are not best of friends. And they react against each other and cause each other to corrode, do they not? If they're in contact, by, by a galvanic reaction, reaction tailgate. have to have a sort of strip that would protect yeah. the alley body from touching the steel chassis. Otherwise, yeah. over time, there would be a reaction which yeah. would cause corrosion. Why is that not happening in your engine block? And Gas also, gaskets. another dumb question. That's a very... Expansion rates. Mm-hmm. As the engine block gets mm-hmm. hot... 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which expands to a greater degree under a given temperature, aluminium or steel? Oh, I don't know the answer to either of those questions, around. and I'm going to go and find out. I'm going to find out about the thermal expansion. And I'm I wasn't going to trying to catch you out, though. No, 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 no and it's impervious, it forms a nice protective layer. So that in practice, aluminium in big lumps is very unreactive. Get aluminium as a powder, and it can be very reactive. Right, that's the inside of the SRBs. And, and, the, and the, the paint reaction. that painted the outside of the Hindenburg, yeah, which is I, why the Hindenburg burned and not exploded, as it were. I believe yeah. that to be the case. Yeah, so this nitric acid trick got the remains of the bolt out. Having done that, it was, relatively speaking, an absolute breeze to put the whole thing Great. back together again. And you know what? After eight days of being taken apart and being messed about with, engine fired up first time. So does that mean that the House of Zog is now an official Porsche-sanctioned maintenance garage? What's the term? I don't know. Porsche, OPC, official Porsche Centre. Yeah, OPC, official Porsche Centre. Yeah, well, you'd have to ask Porsche about that. I'm certainly sanctioning myself as a certified Porsche Bodger. Well done, mate. Well done. (laughs) Porsche Bodger. that note he was Zug goodbye uh, he drives a Porsche he was Richard goodbye he drives a Suzuki and I drove a Michael so I'm Gareth and I drove a Mercedes-Benz B200 see ya to send us an email see pictures get song lyrics join our Facebook fan site or follow us on Twitter go to GarethJones.tv Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang Gareth Jones on Speed lunch of <laughs>